Welcome to That's Life, where we support the First Amendment. Yep, that's it. That's my whole intro. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. I'm Miriam L. Wallach, General Manager here at the Nachum Siegel Network. You can find me here right after Allison and right before Nachum's live lunch. And for those of you who aren't familiar with what I'm referring to when I say we support the First Amendment, and you're like, sure, why wouldn't you support the First Amendment? All you have to do is take a quick look at what's been going on with Twitter and Facebook and the New York Post that began yesterday, and it seems the insanity continues today, because instead of making this a one-day story, the story is now continuing. So I'm not going to get into this any further. Don't worry. It's on our live lunch agenda, which is, I'm sure, going to make Nahum thrilled. Excuse me. But yes, we are going to discuss the New York Post, Twitter, Facebook, censorship, book burnings, bannings, you name it. We're going to discuss it during the live lunch. Suffice it to say, as I'm sure you can imagine, I do not support banning books. You'll hear all about that later on the live lunch. It's our weekly reminder to wash your hands with soap and water. Yep, these are our our weekly COVID reminders. Ironically enough, today is Global Hand Washing Day. Yep, October 15th is Global Hand Washing Day. Again, no need to just do it one day out of the year, folks. Wash your hands every single day. It's good practice, both during COVID and, you know, for the rest of your lives. Um, We'll do the national holidays in a second. I do want to remind everybody that mask wearing is not only appropriate, it's good for you, it's good for the people around you. And hey, radical idea. How about just putting on a mask and not attacking each other? I know, I'm a genius. Just put on a mask and be quiet. Also, a reminder to vote. Yes, if you have not yet registered to vote, or if you have registered to vote and you're planning to vote in advance or vote by ballot, by absentee ballot, or, you know, mail it in, whatever you're doing. Shout out to Maury Litwack, who has been getting people out to vote, to register to vote. If you have not yet registered to vote in the elections, you really, 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 really need to do so. Every election is important, but exercising your right to be heard is even more important. Involving your children in the process is even more important than that. If you've never taken your kids to vote with you, you've never taken them to a voting booth. Yeah, all right. The voting booth is not as exciting as it was when I was a kid. There's no lever. You're putting the thing in. You scan it. But it doesn't matter. Involve your kids in the process. This is going to sound ridiculous, but let them get a sticker. Let them get a sticker that says, I voted. You know, they're going to wear it all day with, with pride. And I, and I promise you. They'll vote as adults if they go with you when they're kids. Let's do the national holidays. So as I mentioned, it is na- it is Global Hand Washing Day. It is also Conflict Resolution Day. Yeah, you in a fight with somebody? Go make up. It's Conflict Resolution Day. Get smart about Credit Day, which is, you know, obviously important. It's also International Credit Union Day. Hmm, think those things are connected? Yeah. It's I Love Lucy Day, which only makes me laugh because Nahum had even mentioned uh, Lucille Ball in his interview this morning with Brad Meltzer on JM and the AM. So that was semi-fortuitous. It's National Cake Decorating Day. Yeah, cake decorating was a became a big thing during COVID. There are lots of food videos going around, of course. Besides all the sourdough recipes that were out there all over Instagram and everyone posting pictures of their sourdough bread. Yeah, there's a lot of cake decorating going on as well. It's actually, for those people like me who like minutia, it's very therapeutic. It's National Grouch Day. 
Yeah, leave that one alone. It's National Shawarma Day, folks. It's National Shawarma Day. Who can't get into that? Even I can appreciate that. Yeah, I'm not eating the shawarma, but I can get into it. Total shout out to Shawarma Day. I also want to do a uh, fortune cookie. The reason I want to do a fortune cookie is not only because I haven't read a fortune cookie on the air in, frankly, a while, but I started buying these teas. You know, they're like mint teas or whatever, nothing fancy. But every tea bag that has a little, I don't know what the word is, flag on it, you know, that little piece of paper that hangs off the side of your cup that's attached by the staple to the string that goes to the bag. I mean, how better could I have explained what I'm talking about? Anyway, let's call it let's call it the tea bag flag. Anyway, so this brand of teas that I bought has like a fortune on it or like something inspirational on it on the flag. So it's, you know, it's cute and everything. And I'm drinking my tea last night and my daughter reads the um, the message on the flag out loud. And she goes, oh, it's like it's like a fortune cookie without the cookie. I'm like, oh, you know, I should really do a fortune cookie. I haven't done those in a while. That's what made me remind. That's how I got here, folks. All right. So here's my fortune for the day. The only limits to the possibilities in your life tomorrow are the buts you use today. Meaning, but I can't. That's what that means. The only limits to the possibilities in your life tomorrow are the buts you use today. That is actually very interesting. Uh, returning guest today on That's Life. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network. And uh, my resident psychologist, somebody I trust implicitly, Dr. Michael Solomon, joins us this morning. He is the Senior Psychological and Director of ADC Psychological Services in Hewlett. You can always find them at 516-596-0073. And something that is not often discussed but should be is the mental health of children. Dr. Solomon joins us this morning to discuss just that. Good morning, Doc. Good morning. How are you, How sir? are you? Thank God, sir. Thank you for joining me, and I always appreciate when you make time out of your schedule to discuss various topics with our listeners. And on the heels of Mental Health Awareness Week, which ended last week on the 11th, or ended this week on the 11th, um, which we really did not get to discuss because of the Chagim, etc., and so I didn't get a chance to discuss it on the air, but... A, a, an article came to my attention recently called When Things Aren't Okay with the Kids. And it occurred to me after reading this article that what we're, we're not continuing to appreciate necessarily are the continual effects of COVID on our kids. Have you seen, for example, in your practice, have you seen an uptick in anxiety-related disorders in children for children who aren't otherwise necessarily anxious kids? Yes. The, the simple answer to that is yes. As a matter of fact, we've seen about a 150% increase in, in calls about that issue, just that issue related primarily to COVID. Um, you know, children in general about, I don't know, you know, there are some statistics out there that generally children... About one in six or seven children has a, an underlying issue with mental health. Um, well, I think at this point since February, I, I would say that's probably a much higher percentage. Um, worry, anxiety, fear, and fears that they have are very similar to those that adults are, are experiencing. Uh, fear of relatives dying, what kind of medical treatment they can get or shouldn't get, um, they're afraid to go to the doctors for standard, you know, pediatric visits. Uh, they're afraid that they're going to end up in the hospital. Seeing all kinds of depression and disruptive behavior problems, sleep disorders. And in the older children, 
and I don't mean that old, I mean starting around age 11 and 12, we're seeing an increase, significant increase of substance use disorders. Wow. Oh, so, yeah, we're seeing a lot of that. Um, and, and, and a lot of that is a reflection on, on parents' anxiety. Um, and I know this is not fair to say, but I think if parents maintain some composure and allow their ch children to express their fears, the anxiety level in their children somehow gets reduced because they have the role model telling them that it, they'll be able to handle it and everything will work out. So it's safe to say that anxiety is contagious. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You may be more prone genetically to be more anxious, but if you are surrounded by people who are calmer, you will learn to stay calmer. That's a fact. Wow. That is certainly a fact. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Dr. Michael Solomon joins us this morning. We had some predictions initially, let's say in the spring, around Pesach, as to how corona and COVID and staying inside and not going to school and all of these outside effects were going to impact, how they were going to impact on our kids. What were we right about in terms of those concerns, and what did we miss? Well, I, I think what we missed is the easiest one to start with. We missed the fact that we weren't paying attention to what children really need. And, and I think it's an important point because it's not an easy, it's not an easy bridge to cross here. Uh, my nine-year-old granddaughter um, told me after her first day of school, called her up and said, how was your first day of school? And she said, it was like going to jail because in front of me and on the sides of me and behind me are these glass, meaning plexiglass right. partitions. So I'm kind of trapped in my own little booth. Mm. But, but, and this was the best part, but I get to see all my friends, which I couldn't do before. Um, I, I think we need to find a way to have kids, even if they can't spend time uh, in a school-like setting for whatever reason, and I'm, and I'm not an epidemiologist or an infectious disease specialist, so I can't comment on, on the restrictions, but if those people decide that kids should not be in a school environment, we still have to find a way to allow them to interact on some sort of a social level with other children. And it can't be on screens. Screens just don't work. I mean, I'm hearing from colleagues who are, who are and I teach, who, who teach on a college level, who teach in, in high schools, but even on a postgraduate level, um, Zooming is just not working. People don't have that kind of attention span for a screen. Um, and that kind of fits the, the model of what we understand about how people uh, view screens. Uh, you'll find young children can sit and watch cartoons for hours, but that's because the cartoons are constantly moving. Right. But if you're sitting and watching one person lecture who occasionally is posting some sort of a, a, uh, uh, a note on their screen, that becomes boring for everyone within five to seven minutes. So people veg out very quickly. Screen education is not something that I think is going to work unless we find better ways of doing it. So something that we were right about in terms of our concerns for kids were not only not only the social elements that they were obviously going to be missing, but also that whole element of everyone at home at the same time for, at that point, an undeterminable amount of time. Those kind of on uh, like need for your own space that kind of on top of each other those were concerns that we had initially that we were right about yeah well those yes and, and you know if you have a very large house and you can and you have a good wi-fi 
uh, in your house, then, then maybe you can find places for everyone to do their schoolwork and not be uh, impacted by their siblings or, or parents working at home. But that's not really the way it works in most right. households. Right. And, and that's still an issue for many. Um, and, and then the parents who are working from home feel obligated to stand over their children, run from room to room, or from one side of the, the dining room table to the other to make sure that the children are focusing. It's, it's really not a very good situation, no matter how you slice it. There are some teachers who are doing some very creative things, I've noticed. Um, there's one that I've spoken with who is not giving tests, but is actually giving uh, a grade for uh, notes that are taken at the end of the week, the, the students in our class are required to turn in their notes. And if their notes are comprehensive, they get a good grade. Mm. So that's how she's motivating them to pay attention. And that's good. But it still doesn't solve the overall problem that kids need to be in a more uh, constructive academic setting that they can relate to others in. Right, Inter but, interactive. I mean, I think that that's, that's, so, uh, that's such an essential part of education. I, I, uh, piggybacking on, on that anecdote that you just shared, I noticed this week that my son, who's a senior in high school, was very excited that something um, that he had done at home as part of the classroom work, was shared on the school Instagram account. And what I mean is that in his chemistry class, in his AP Chem class, they had to use at-home manipulatives. Take whatever you want, make an, use at-home manipulatives, and on your table, on your desk, wherever you're studying from, wherever you're Zooming from at, at that moment, make a diagram using those manipulatives of what they're talking about in terms of neurons, protons, cell, whatever it was. Obviously, the topic is not something that I'm particularly familiar with. But either way, he used magnetiles that we happen to have around, and he made this whole diagram, and they posted it on the school Instagram account, and he was over the moon. And it occurred to me just how smart that teacher was for not only engaging 17-year-olds in something like this, but also just that positive reinforcement, that recognition by having it posted on Instagram. I mean, way to use social media in such a positive way, way to, to speak to kids in the, in the manner which they would understand, which is through social media. I mean, to me, the whole thing was, was, an, was a home run. And that's, that's what, if we're gonna, going to be continuing this way for the foreseeable future because of COVID, we need to find those kind of constructive uh, ways to pull the students in. Right. They need to be part of it. 100%. And, and, you know, in fact, if you want to explore a little bit, um, Slate, the, uh, the paper, the online sure. newspaper sure. Slate, has an article just today. Um, I think it's called something along the lines of all of my students turned their cameras off and it's making class miserable. Um, we've got to find a way to engage students mm. and, and keep them interested. Right. So if, if there's a way to have the students interact as if they would be interacting in a classroom, that would be helpful if they can get their, their assignments posted, if they can be graded for working in a certain way, all of those things would be productive. But that's only the academic side of it. Then there's the, the, the household side of it, where, where um, parents have to be a really good role model to their kids, and it's extra difficult at this point. Um, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to take a slightly different on this. Um, there was a point when I was visiting a, an elderly woman 
in, in, who lived in Yerushalayim, who had lived through the siege of Jerusalem. She was a Yerushalmi, uh, actually a relative. She kept her freezer stocked with bread. Mm. And I asked her why, and she said, I know I don't need to stock it anymore. I know I can go out and buy, but I was raised during that time when we were afraid that we wouldn't get a delivery of bread. And there were days and weeks that we sometimes didn't have bread. Fifty years from now, our, our, the children who are experiencing this will be talking about what they lived through, and their memory will shape the way they deal with life. And we have to help them understand that they will get through this. And they don't have to be stuck in it, and there are creative ways of handling it, and we've got to be good role models for them. Right. We, right. Also, we also have to set limits. Mm. Um, you know, screen time, we know, especially younger children, is not necessarily a good thing. Uh, it actually has an impact on the way brain develops. What that means in terms of how many hours they should be spending online in, in school, I'm not clear on. I don't think anybody is. Mm. Right. Very, very, very good point. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Dr. Michael Solomon joins us this morning. We're discussing mental health, COVID, and kids it is October of 2020. So many of us, myself included, naively thought that this would be behind us by this point, that we would be in a totally different stratosphere, a different reality by this point. And yet our current reality continues to be that in one in which COVID is still part of every part of our life. And I ask you then, as, as a parent of, of young children, Doc, when we're, when we're talking about bullying, there was, I imagine, a decrease in accounts of bullying as there were no in-person classes. When we, that's, when we yeah, all, that's, that's an interesting point. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, go for it. Um, the, 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 the amount is down. The intensity seems to have gone up. Um, a lot of the calls we're getting are from children who've gone to school for a day or two and are being uh, teased afterwards online by some of their classmates for either having gone to school or not having been in school or not having a certain type of iPad or computer or things like that. Um, weight gain, I, I'm sure, is also an issue. A lot of people gained weight during COVID. There's a lot of inactivity. And so I imagine that self-consciousness, that body image issue has certainly come back as well and is certainly feeding bullies. Absolutely. Among girls, for sure. No question about that. We've seen that as well. Uh, and, you know, I'm speaking to one of my colleagues who's a physician who is talking about what he calls the COVID-9 in children. He see, most of the children he's seen has have gained about nine pounds in wow. the last six or seven months. Um, that's unfortunately pretty common. Um, that's the other thing. Kids need to have their recess time as well. They need to be out playing ball but who, or running around or jump rope, or whatever it is that they normally do at recess. But who are they going to do that with if they're learning at home? Right. Uh, I, I, it, it, such an important point. And, and what's interesting to me is something I noted in my own house on Monday where all of a sudden my youngest took her laptop. She was in the middle of class. All of a sudden she takes her laptop and she goes downstairs to the, to the basement where we keep all our exercise equipment. And I looked at her, I said, what are you doing? She goes, I have gym now. Ah. And I said, oh, okay. And so this was what she was doing for gym. And this is how she was interacting for gym. And again, 
I was somewhat comforted in that interactive angle of using things that people have at home in order to be engaged in a classroom and with a teacher. And yet, obviously, the screen time and doing this through a screen is certainly not the same thing. Doc, while we're running out of time, I need to ask you what, I, what I'm sure most people are now thinking. We've discussed all of these issues. There are still real, real mental health issues that are facing our kids that we know about now and that we won't know about for the next number of years, but will come up until we are all able to sit together in the same space. Is it possible for a child or an adolescent to develop a real relationship with a mental health professional through a screen via telehealth, even at this point? I'm on the other side of the fence most of my colleagues say that it, it is possible. I have reservations about that. I think with older children, it is possible. I think with younger children, body language is even more important than, than seeing the child's face because you, you can read a child better based on how they're squirming than on their facial expressions. Um, and, and one of the things we try to do in, in our practice is we, we are not doing that much online therapy anymore. Mm. So, so we've, we've, we've got windows, we open the windows, we put a uh, filter on our uh, air system, um, everybody wears masks, and what we don't do is we don't do the, the play therapy kind of things that we normally would have done. We keep our 6 to 12 feet distances, but we try to engage the children in conversation or have them draw pictures at a distance, whatever it is that we can do. Uh, to, to get the child to interact. And it seems to be working pretty well for us. Um, like I said, I, I think body language with younger children is a lot more definitive of what you're dealing with than just a face on a screen. Wow. Wow. But I, I, I got to tell you, I mean, I'm, I hear both sides of it, obviously, and, I'm, and I defer to you on all things mental health. But I am relieved again to see how you and your practice are making, and I'm going to use this word in quotation marks, making a normal environment in an abnormal situation. And and it, it, it speaks to the, ne- the need for resiliency. This speaks to our ability to be resilient. I think that's the most important factor that will get us all through this very trying year, year and a half, however long it takes. <laughs> However, however long it takes indeed. Doc, if you had an answer to that question, you'd really be the most popular person in my life. <laughs> Dr. Michael Solomon joins us this morning again. You can reach him at 516-596-0073 or at psychologicalhelp.org. Doc, thank you as always. I appreciate your insight. My pleasure. Anytime for you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Regards to everyone. You're listening. You've been listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Single Network. The afternoon continues with a full day of programming. The live lunch will start at the top of the hour at 11 a.m., hosted by Nahum Siegel. And again, we'll discuss so many different issues. And not only will we discuss the New York Post, but of course, for those of you who are keeping track with everything in my life. Yes, the West Wing reboot is this evening. We'll discuss that as well. I know Nachum's going to be thrilled to pieces. Throwback Thursday starts at 1 p.m. Encore of JM Rewind is at 4 p.m. And of course, the Arab Shabbos show hosted by Mark Zomik starts at 7 p.m. Eastern time tonight. We are 
reminding you to please support our ongoing campaign. We are here and live every day. You make that happen, folks. FJBUnity.org. Donate today. Become a monthly donor. We really appreciate everything you do. Become a monthly donor. We are closing today with a classic Devekis. We are closing with Hamalach. Why? I'll tell you why. Because much of Shul and Yantef has been disrupted by COVID for months. But one tradition that was preserved over Simchas Torah, at least in my Shul, and yes, on a very, very reduced level, was Kol Hanaaren. And it is an amazing thing to sing together as a community in general, but it is certainly amazing to sing Hamalach by Devekis. It is an exceptional experience. So feel free to sing along. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys.
shame of Osai, the shame of Osai.